Hello, operators. Whether you're tier one or tier none, you're welcome here. I was the white motorcycle policeman. I'm at the Tactical Plus Size Model. Whether you're tier one or tier none, you're welcome here. You're listening to Shooting Blanks, and some of you are fortunate to be watching Shooting Blanks. In studio today is a rare find, somebody I discovered through watching A&E's 60 Days In, Season 5 in particular. If you're not familiar with the show, this is a reality show where people volunteer to go to jail for 60 days. The premise is that they're going to get inside information that they can relate to the sheriff and the sheriff's right-hand man, the chief deputy. Guess who we've got in studio today? The chief deputy from Season 5, Pinal County, Arizona, Matthew Thomas. Welcome. How are you? I'm unbelievable. <laughs> Thanks for asking. You happy to be here? I am very happy to well, be let's here. Let's see if you say that an hour from now. <laughs> so you get an idea of what got me hooked on this guy and made me say, I want this guy in my life. Let's check out eight seconds from the season finale of 60 Days In on A&E. This is where we're going to go ahead and insert the video clip into the video. Let me know if you would like the audio inserted here as well. You are a badass. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I just kind of tell it like it is. Chief, could we say that guy pissed you off? Uh, yes, you can. He very much pissed me off. <laughs> and, and it was righteous. He, he didn't... Yeah, he was he was pushing all my buttons, and uh, he did not like me because I called him on his BS. And you you did, and, and rightly so. And I don't want you to think that that's that's the chief in totality. After looking that, I researched high and low, and what I mean is I called two of the people who worked for him and said, <laughs> "Who is that guy? Who's that chief deputy?" I was directed to his Instagram. Uh, I, I he's like a kindred spirit to me. We both like mag dumps. We're both out there rocking that full auto. Yep. Uh, yeah, we do that two hundred fifty. What is it? Fifty round qualification every year. That's well and good, but once you've had one mag dump, I, I'm hooked. How about yeah. you? Oh, same for me. Yeah, and then if you go belt-fed, it's even better. <laughs> oh, yes. Other people's money. That's right. Other people's <laughs> ammo. So what I learned while researching, I guess, is that uh, is that called stalking? No, I was looking through your <laughs> social media, some things that came out right from the bat for me. Career peace officer. Yeah. One uh, agency. One agency my whole career, yep. Something we have in common. You were influenced by motors as a child. Yes, I was. Uh, yeah, I was. I think I told uh, Ben this story that the motors are some of the cops that I had interactions with as a kid. Yeah, I have, and I, I couldn't find them to bring you. <clears throat> motors for the same for me, but it was one motor in particular. Cleveland Police Richard Tansky, <laughs> six foot seven, in Holy the days smokes. of wool coats with policemen. Remember wool coats. Yes. <laughs> full-dressed Harley that he took home. Oh. I learned so much about life from that guy and from motorcycles. What I learned about Harleys and police motorcycles were uh, put all the chrome on there you can, and yep. he did at his own expense. And if this is true or not, I don't know. Ben, you're a Harley guy. When Harleys sound perfect, it's right before they blow up. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty true. That's definitely true. <laughs> and I learned about... I think I read that in a book. <laughs> I learned about police work from him. Community relations, rather. Because right. Shaker right. Square in Cleveland is the oldest shopping center in America, and that was his beat. On foot and on motor, and uh, the, those were crazy days in Cleveland. This is post riots, and those wool coats didn't have pockets. That's how you got your hand to your pistol. Yep. So pistol hand on one side, blackjack on the other. So are we on our twenty seventh year with the sheriff's office? Twenty uh, sixth, going towards my twenty seventh in April. Yeah. Wow. So uh, it's been and all, again all with the uh, the Pinal County Sheriff's Office, and uh, it's been it's been cool. That's amazing, and this is. The, 
your first sheriff that you've worked as chief deputy for, correct? That is correct. Yes, I was a. Uh, I had worked my way up through the ranks. I actually started in the jail with uh, with our county, um, and then went out to the road as a deputy, and kind of worked my way through the ranks. I was a sergeant for a number of years and became a lieutenant. And uh, when Sheriff Lamb came in, I was still lieutenant, and he asked me to make the jump up to being his chief deputy. Outstanding. And for those of you that don't know, and I, I can't imagine there many do, the sheriff in Arizona is an elected position. Yep. Uh, the sheriff sets the tone, the timber, uh, and the morale, and the vision for the sheriff's office, which is hard to do. But what's even harder, in my opinion, <laughs> is implementing all of that. Yeah. And that falls to none other than the chief deputy. Yeah, that is correct. I, uh, I, he, he has the vision, the mission. He relays that to me, and uh, we get it done. So we're, we're doing the work of, of pushing his mission forward. And I don't live in Pinal County. I do come out there to shoot, but I, I'm, I drive too slow, so I'm not looking for any favors. But I want to pay you a compliment. I, I know several people who work from Pinal County. And when I'm out there, your deputies smile. Yeah. It reminds me of living in the South. Deputies wave at you. Right. Uh, they're also typing your play with the other. <laughs> but, but I understand that. Uh, they're happy. They're smiling. And that's that, that says a lot because you don't see that. Right. Especially everywhere. in today's uh today's world with the attitudes towards cops in general around the nation um, one thing we are dead set on is keeping our employees happy because if you look at it like a business um, and look at it as in the sense of customer service for our citizens if our employees are, are, are happy with their work they're happy to come to work they're going to treat the citizens better they're going to treat our customers better they're not going to have the bad attitudes are not going to have the burnout. And so we're trying to set up an environment to make that possible. How are you doing that, though? Letting them do their job, actually, and then backing them when they do do it. Because I think what's happening in the police world right now is that you have you get convicted by the media immediately, and then you have chiefs and sheriffs that will bend to that um, immediately rather than standing their ground and doing what they know is right. Because doing the right thing is really hard in today's cop world because that means that I have to stand up against the masses when one of our officers does something that they think is wrong and so <clears throat> the stance we've taken is that with our employees specifically when we talk to them um, and it's not just cops it's you know the whole agency when we talk to them about making mistakes it's that people are going to make mistakes in their jobs especially when you're expected to make split sec split second decisions in a rapidly changing environment, you're going to make some mistakes. But what we tell our people is, as long as these aren't intentional mistakes, if, if you're not doing something that is immoral, illegal, unethical, and you're not doing it intentionally, we can work with that. Um, we'll talk about the mistake. We'll, you, you may have to pay a price for making that mistake, but it's not like we're going to send you down the river and uh, just you know hope for the best. We're going to back you. We're going to be there with you. And then also... I think what what hand in hand with that is allowing them to do their job, not dictating every little thing to them because we're so concerned with them doing something wrong. And uh, one thing that the sheriff and I have told when you talk to community leaders is like, look, we trust these people with guns and enforcing the Constitution and upholding laws why would we not trust them to just do the things they're empowered to do? It, you know, there's no reason for us to get involved in their day-to-day -day work and dictate how they do that. We, we show them where we're going, how 
we want to behave along that road. And then just like kids, we kind of push them on and let's go. And if they get off course, we correct their course, but we keep going forward. And they echo that. And some of this thing, you know, everybody thinks it's about salary (laughs) or about money or about time off. One of the things that I got back from the folks I talked to about you and the direction is the new uniform. Mm -hmm. Uh, These guys, younger folks that you've got working for, you don't know about numb hips. They don't know about lower back injuries. You guys have allowed them to wear the external carrier. Mm -hmm. They're wearing a more comfortable pant. And they're... You know, they don't know what it's like, and you do, to get out of that car after eight hours and your right leg be numb. So that little things like that do make a difference. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some knew I was going to talk to you. Some didn't know. All spoke highly. They all feel the way you said you believe in your heart, that you and the sheriff believe that. And they also think that if they mess up, they might catch hell for it. But as long as they tell you the truth, that it's going to work. However, however it's going to work, they just know that if they come forward to tell the truth, that's important. Yeah, and that's that's the biggest thing. As long as they own up to their mistake, um, we're going to work through it with them, not just send them on their own. And I think that makes the big difference because there there's some mistakes that you can't recover from. There's some people that are going to lose their career for the mistake that they made, but that doesn't mean we're going to just leave them on their own to lose their career. We're still going to be with them side by side and try and help them through that process. And if they have to leave, they have to leave. But for the most part, you know, People want to do good, and our employees want to do good. We have to give them the tools. We have to give them the backing. And the tools is a big piece of it because um, coming up through the ranks, I understand all the no's and all the no's that I got coming up. And, um, you know, I also understand sometimes I would ask some self-serving stuff because you're trying to do some stuff for yourself. Um, And so I kind of get the games, too. And... uh, What's odd for me now in this position is, uh, like with social media, a lot of these guys, including myself, you're, you're trying to promote yourself and set yourself up to uh, your own little identity. And so we get that and we just we warn them that you have to be careful with that because it can be used against you um, if something happens, if something bad goes wrong. So we just try and give them all the parameters and give them the most information we can. Um, and honestly, I just, I really do look at it like parenting. Like I'm, tr- I'm trying to take care of you guys. I'm trying to give you the best life you can have. I'm going to give you some advice, um, give you some guidance. And then it's really on you to, to do the job and do the work and be a good cop. <laughs> and it should be no surprise to anybody that follows me that I am prejudiced on behalf of deputies opposed to city police, it is because <laughs> com- we're real cops. That's right, and I'm going to get in trouble for this. This is not the chief deputy saying it, but I'm going to say it: boys in blue, men in brown or green, depending on the combination of the uniform. A deputy sheriff. Now, your area is like the size of Connecticut. Yeah, 5,400 right. square miles. And so that's 124 sworn. No, uh, we have 216 sworn. 216 sworn. Ooh. I have got Ben, our neighbor to the east of us yes sir is 580 acres with 230 sworn mm-hmm. uh so yeah. there's a big difference we ask say it, spread a little thin is what you're trying to say exactly right. yeah. we ask a deputy sheriff in my opinion to be a lot of things a parent mm-hmm. to those who haven't been parented properly to teach skills uh to be a medic in some cases to be an arbitrator to be an educator to do all these things and to do it remotely uh, average response time. I'm a deputy. I work for you. I ask for help. Who's going to get there first? Is it going to be DPS? going to be tribal police? Is going to be one of your guys? Uh, it really depends on the area. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it could be any of those uh, depending on where they're at. It could be one of our people. It could be a tribal. It could be uh, state cops. Um, 
It could be city cops in, in some places. They're going to be the closest. And people don't realize what that's a, that puts a lot on that deputy. That deputy has to be trained. Mm-hmm. He's going to be able to handle his shit. And I'm going to, yeah, I cursed. I did it. I said it. <laughs> I broke. Uh, on the, yeah, I broke. I didn't mean uh, to do that. I don't that. know if you know this, but I never curse. I know. You, you, you never have. But remember, we just watched that 10 seconds from the show earlier. Yeah. So. Uh, deputies have it hard. Yeah, they do. Uh, you have it hard because you have got... I want to say, for a better word, customer or an audience, you've got the sheriff, mm-hmm. and you guys have a great working relationship. Yep. Uh, you have your rank and file. Yep. Uh, you've got the detention folks. Yep. You've got county board of supervisors, <laughs> yep. right? So, uh, you know, Pinal County brings in $2.3 billion in agriculture. So meaning if you're west of the Mississippi and you ate something green in the last 12 months, it was probably grown in Pinal County mm-hmm. or one of the farms here in Arizona. You don't get that $2.3 billion, do you? No. No, we don't. Um and we do okay for for what we have, um, and like with all the the different aspects that you're talking about, like the board of supervisors, um, I could tell you like our relationship with them night and day difference from the past. And uh, good. Um, and it's it's because um, when the sheriff came in, and why I jumped on board with him is because I knew it was the right direction to head, and his his mission and his vision. I was like, dude, finally, somebody that, that gets it. Uh, because as a lower rank, as a lieutenant working in a command staff, you're trying to get things accomplished. And if your staff above you, your captains, your chiefs, your sheriff, if they're not on the same page, man, you have to work a lot of back channels to get stuff done. And so as a SWAT lieutenant, that was my last assignment was over SWAT narcs and uh, our anti-smuggling. There's a lot of equipment needs for those units. So you're asking for money all the time. So in comparison, I don't mean to interrupt you, but in comparison to another agency in the state, Mm -hmm. how many deputy chiefs do you have? I have two. I have one over sworn and one over the jail. We have an agency that has 23 (laughs) deputy chiefs (laughs) under a chief deputy. So do you have all the employees, do you have all the the deputies you want? No, no, not by any means. We, I I mean, honestly, we would love to double our numbers. I'd, I'd love to have 400 sworn. Um, is that going to – the problems we have are never going to go away. So we could we could hire 1,200 deputies, and we're still going to have the same amount of problems. We're just going to have better response time and, and uh, be able to better place them. But we are spread thin now. Our population is growing. Um, the good thing is we have we have a board and we have county management that understands that, and, uh, and we are now all working together on what the future looks like. So the, the – the, Horizon looks really good for our agency, um, and I think we're just we're in growing pains right now. Um, in a sense of population is booming, uh, we're at the same staff we've had for a while, um, but I think we're on the verge of, of changing a lot of that. Now that that's patrol. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that one of the biggest parts of your job is detention. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and they are quite often overlooked by administrations. Uh, and and. Uh, when we took over as the admin, that's one of the things that I really wanted to focus on because um, I really felt bad for that side of the house because they have a lot of special revenues. And so what that means is that the jail itself can generate a lot of money um, because of the different programs that are jail specific and how the co- county operates and, and what we're mandated to do. Um, and so what I saw in the past was that the jail generates these revenues 
the administration would use those revenues for a bunch of different stuff, but the jail would never reap the benefits of the revenues that they're generating. And so we've kind of changed that model and we're trying to dump as much of that back into our jail, into our staff. Um, and it's not, a, it's, it can never be as fast as we want it to be. Uh, but that is one of the big model changes that we've had is using those special revenues um, to to get like specific, for what they were intended for. Yeah, exactly. To 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 enhance the jail, to make the staff better trained, to get them better equipment, and that's a lot of what we're doing. And, and I'll tell you, it's uh, there's I, I've spoken to sheriffs all over the country now, being in this position, and um, some of the more tenured sheriffs from around the U.S. T- sheriffs that have done two, three, four terms, they'll tell you. Um, like the jail will never get your sheriff elected, but it can get them unelected real quick. Absolutely. And uh, um, and what that means is that there can be problems in there because, you know, if you have staff that just don't care, you're going to have assault, you're going to have suicide, you're going to have all these things that are very litigious and cost the county money. And by proxy, when, when the county's spending money on you for lawsuits and stuff, they're not spending money on you for other things. Exactly. So... <clears throat> trying to take care of our staff, get them trained, uh, get them as much pay as we can get them and get them the best working environment. So the same thing that we're doing on the patrol side where those guys are happy, they're smiling, they're enjoying their jobs. We want detention to be the same way so that they're coming to work, they're happy, they're enjoying their job, they're going to do a better job, um, they're going to care more about the quality. And by default, we are going to reap the benefits of that in the sense that we're not going to have these lawsuits because they're going to be dotting every I and crossing every T. And on the hiring, you, you've got a great angle. And he, you've made a great point publicly before. People want to be in law enforcement. You want to be in law enforcement when? Today. Right. There's no time in your life longer than the time between your 18 and your 21. Right. I mean, you get to be my age and it's like a decade. <laughs> you know, it's, it's gone. But. What happens in those times, 18 to 21? Well, you know, we've talked about some of our friends, and we've had some friends in the. You guys do something special for the guys at 19. What do you do for guys at 19? We guys are, and gals, excuse me. Yeah, guys. Yeah, and and I got to clear that too, because when I say guys, I'm talking about everybody, but uh, guys and gals, because we have some great women in there that kick butt. Uh, but what we've done is we we lowered the age and allowed um, people to come into the jail to work at 19, and then. What happens is uh, once we get them in and they're in there 19, 20, 21, um, they get introduced to that government work. They get introduced to that paramilitary style, um, chain of command, that kind of stuff. They get a more structured uh, work environment, and that prepares them really for the road, and it keeps them clean because they're, they're working a job. They're around other people that are like-minded, and then when they hit that, that magic age of 21 where they can go be a cop now, and they want to come out and be a deputy, well, we give them preference as well. So they get first shot at it. So we would hire them before we would hire somebody straight out the street. Outstanding. Mm. The jail is a, is a crazy place. It's a crazy world. If you've never been exposed to it, there's no way to explain it. It's like experiential. It's, experiential. it's riding a bicycle. If you haven't done it, I can't tell you how to do it. <laughs> Visiting a jail. It's a population unto its own. It's a little world unto its right. own. We've got pod bosses. We have all these things that everybody for since day one has been trying to fight. Right. Uh, what are your biggest challenges in the jail? Uh, well, our biggest challenges in the jail is obviously what you're what you're describing with the uh, the politics, and why that's one of our bigger problems is because you don't have any control over it. As we saw in 60 Days In, we have no control over the politics they create. We have no control over the racial divides they create. Because I would much rather be able to house everybody together in one pod, no matter their race, no matter 
their background, uh, but that just can't happen because of the the gangs and the affiliations and their race because they racially and it, and separate. It's not just race, is it, Chief? It's they take a fine tooth oh, comb yeah. and a razor to yeah. race. I right. mean, it's, if, I, it, for instance, the 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 and when I say Mexicans, I'm talking about from Mexico, right. uh, Mexicans. So Mexicans in our jail are a group of their own amongst Hispanics. So you'll have American Mexicans that are in a group and they don't associate with the Mexico Mexicans. They There's a divide there. Um, so it's very, very racial. And it's, uh, again, we have no control over that because I, I can't tell them, hey, you guys will get along. And no, they'll stab each other is what they'll do or beat each other up. So our, our you know, people who are from the outside think, well, move them every night. Don't let them stay in the same room. Uh, don't let them control the TV. Yeah. Don't let them have visits. Now, things like remote visiting. Do you guys mm-hmm. do things like that? Yeah. You, how we, much contraband comes in? We have a, a fair amount of contraband. Again, I'll point back to 60 Days in. We learned that we, we had some, uh, some drugs coming in. Um, the weapons that they get in are usually – well, they don't get those in. The weapons that they have are usually made within the institution – uh, so drugs is probably our biggest concern and, and some of the stuff that gets in. And uh, a lot of times <clears throat> those are just th- – those can be simply failures. Uh, you have staff that are tired, and so they're not fully And these checking. these problems aren't unique to your facility. These oh, are no. facilities nationwide, including yeah. private, federal, private. Everybody has these kind of right. problems. Yeah, every, everybody's dealing with the same stuff. Contraband is always the biggest issue, contraband introduction into the facility. And um, – you know, they they body orifice carry, so they'll have it in whatever cavity they choose to put it in. They'll try and hide it in um, to sneak it through. And so you've got to imagine we're walking a fine line because the other thing people don't realize about the jail compared to a prison is these are not convicts. They are not convicted of a crime at this point. They're facing charges. So while it's highly likely that they're <laughs> guilty of these crimes, they're still pending their trials for the most part. Do you and not have so, a population that's going to do up to one year? Do you have any of those? We have a few of those. They typically refer to those as trustees. So we do have a small population of people who have been convicted and, and are confined in the county jail. But it's a very small population. And so there is a few. Uh, but for the most part, I would say probably 99% of our population is um, they have not been convicted in a court of law yet. They're just They've been charged and they're facing all that. So you have to treat them as essentially citizens who society has said we don't want in normal society, but we do want uh, confined. Um, however, they are innocent until proven guilty. So you know, you're, it's a fine balancing act with all of this stuff because uh, we can't quite go prison rules on them because there is a little more restriction that you can do in a prison that you can't do in a jail. So it, it becomes a, a tough balancing act. And speaking of prisons and jails, you're in a unique position. Arizona is hot, is very popular with private prisons, yeah. contracted prisons, and you've got how many of those? Oh, I don't know how many. We've got uh, so one, two. We've got at least three separate companies that have private prisons, all like around Florence in that area. Uh, one down in Eloy. Now, is Eloy that's the Hawaii <coughs> State Prison? Well, they contracted. Yeah, they they have a lot of the the Hawaiians, the Samoans are are down in that, which is a whole you know a whole different problem. <laughs> now, do those pose a problem for you? Sometimes. So, uh, some of them will commit crimes where our our detectives or our agency will have to get involved to deal with those crimes, and then and uh, more so than us is our county attorney ah. because they have to charge the crimes. And so we, for instance, 
Um, we had a private prison that was housing a bunch of California inmates. And California, their governor enacted a rule saying that all of their California prisoners had to go back to California. Problem being that they had committed crimes while they were here. So now we have to house them at our sheriff's office because they're out of custody of the private prison per California rules. They still have to face charges in Arizona before they go back to Cali. So they're sitting in our county jail awaiting trial or plea bargains or whatever they do. Um, and then once that's all settled, then we ship them off to California. So we, we have to deal with it quite a bit. Are you guys big extraditors? Do you Ex- go collect anybody that's got a warrant in your county? We, for the most part, yes. In county, yes. Um, uh, as it gets out of county and further, we've limited that because of costs. So it's, for instance, one of the things we looked at because uh, we are responsible for extradition costs we the sheriff's office um so a class and for people that don't know what this means a class six open-ended felony is basically a crime it's the lowest felony they can commit and they can change it into a misdemeanor in the courts so a class six open-ended felony gets committed and the guy runs to new hampshire uh days of old we would go to new hampshire to pick that guy up well that's ridiculous because the the amount of money you're spending on because what happens is they send two right. officers from our agency he gets caught in new hampshire on these a are traffic what we call stop. the good old times yeah good old days <laughs> right but uh he's in new hampshire he gets stopped on a traffic stop they're like boom you got a warrant pinnell county and they want you they're going to extradite so they take him into custody we get notified. Two of our officers have to get plane tickets. They get per diem. They get their hotel. They fly out there. They pick the guy up. They bring him back. That's a huge cost associated with probably what's going to be probation and don't do that again. So we stopped doing a lot of those, and, and uh, um, we basically worked with the county attorney as to what's important and what's not to get back in custody. Mm. Yep. Well, you took all the fun out of that for those, <laughs> for those of us that did that. You mentioned you get to talk to sheriffs all over the place, chief deputies all over the place, yeah. chiefs everywhere. Uh, if I were to put you on the spot and say what were the top, I don't know, three or top, whatever your top concerns facing law enforcement nationally. Mm, top three. It doesn't have to be three. You can do 40, <laughs> one, none. Well, recruitment retention is probably the number one thing that constantly comes up and um, – that is by far the the overwhelming conversation is how do we recruit and how do we retain in today's world and that that crosses all whether you're looking at sheriffs chiefs just so all law enforcement do you invite them out to have a ride along or to see everybody if they're an applicant or if they're considering it so we don't um if they so if we get out-of-state applicants and actually so let me back up a little bit uh we we've done live pd and that was another very calculated decision and we did that specifically because we felt it would really help a connect our community with our deputies that are on live PD and it did and B it would highlight our agency to people around the nation and we were going for the effect because we think we're doing a good job we think our employees like working at Pinell County and we we thought that would come through in what they would see and and it has and so we use that as a recruitment tool um, if out-of-staters want to come right along, yes, we will definitely take care of that, but we, we don't have a specific program set up. So if an out-of-stater applies, generally speaking, the one thing we do is is uh, for those guys to minimize their travel 
is to maximize everything that they do while they're here. So we try and get all their testing knocked out right. at once so that they're done while everybody else in state, it would be a process. They would do a test and a couple of weeks later they do something else and you know, so on and so forth. Out of staters, we kind of because we had a chief deputy years ago that said it, he was he looked at it like the car business. <clears throat> they always insist you take a test drive, right. even if you walk in with a check. Let's just take a test drive because he said it's the feel of the wheel that right. seals the deal. Whether it's the right seat or behind the wheel, the steering wheel, right. getting out there, you get a feel for it because you know you get away from the headquarters, you can ask the guys. So, how many have you gotten from that show? You know, I don't know because we we really didn't uh, have a plan to quantify it. Yeah, um, uh, but our uh, so. I can't attribute it to the show totally because I think actually our employees do a better job of recruiting than the show does. And what I mean by that is, is so for instance, like you, you've talked to some of our employees. So our cops and our detention officers and our civilian staff that are working, when they talk to other people and other people are like, oh, you know, I've looked at your county and how do you like working there? And they say, oh, I love it. I love this. I love that. I love this. Um, and if I can give them a model to speak to and the sheriff can give them a model to speak to where, where hopefully they say, I love working for Chief Thomas and Sheriff Lamb, um, that what they're going to find is, especially for the cop world, when laterals go and ask around, because we're cops, we investigate stuff, you're going to go and ask around and you're going to ask a few cops like, hey, what do you think of this agency? Or, you know, what do you think of your bosses? And I think we, we are one of the leaders in the state for cops who want to come be cops and just do the job to come to and be cops. And, and uh, we just got a, a good raise. We put in a good step plan. Um, that just went through. And, and this past uh, week, our employees uh, on the sworn side started seeing, they started reaping the benefit of that. Um, you hear that? Those of you that are my friends, <laughs> you will be buying lunch <clears throat> the next time I see you. You yeah. got a raise. I heard it from the chief yeah. deputy. There's, it's hitting your checks when? They got it the 15th? They, yeah, they got it already. Yeah. So, like, you Frank owes a bunch of people. Oh, yeah. does he? <laughs> Frank, that's twice in two separate podcasts you've been mentioned. Uh, so, and we have to mention Pew Pew Goddess yeah, if yeah. we're going to do that, too. So, you've all been satisfied and satiated. You're, 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 we've mentioned you. <laughs> As we, you've you've touched on when the guys mess up and things like that, but as a chief deputy, you you gotta, you know, what anything keep you up at night? Any concerns? Yeah, uh, the safety of everybody. <clears throat> so you hit a spot, obviously. <laughs> um, my number one fear. <clears throat> God, I didn't know it was gonna bother me like that. My number one fear is a phone call that uh, one of our people's are, <clears throat> sorry. Because uh, no, I've had a few of those, <laughs> and they're not fun to work through. Um, and I care deeply about all of our people. So uh, that is, that's the one thing that uh, when my phone goes off at night, I'm always looking at <laughs> who's calling me. So if it's dispatch, I can, I'll be like, oh, God, please don't be one of our people. Um, if it's one of our captains or my chiefs, uh, obviously, if it's the jail chief, I'm thinking, shit, somebody escaped. Right, right. <laughs> um, if it's the road chief, uh, you know, my mind goes straight to shit, somebody's hurt. Um, but that is my number one fear is, is uh, that, that really eats at me is, is the safety of our people. And that's shared by the community as well. And don't ever apologize for having a spot hit like <laughs> that because your people know that. And, and you met Brian earlier today, yeah. who, who's going to be on another podcast. Uh, 
it's even worse when you and you are small. It's not small agents, but you know everybody. Right. Right. So it's not like you you know these guys' family. I assume you know everybody, the gal's family. So that that is a horrible thing. Do you guys have a crisis management team process or access to one of those? Yeah, we do. We have. Uh so internally, that was another thing that uh, Sheriff Lamb and I really felt that we needed to build up. And, and we had some good people working on it internally, was our peer support and our crisis management. Um, and of course, we have all the typical you know county outlets that you can go to, the EAP and all that stuff. Um, but internally, in PCSO itself, uh, we have created, and, and I can't take credit for this because it's the group themselves that have done this. So the peer support group itself, the core group started, I supported that idea. So that, that was the level of my doing of it is just supporting their idea. And then they ran with it and they have blossomed that thing. And, and now, um, they are getting calls from other places in the County, other agencies, other departments within the County, that uh, somebody's in crisis and our peer support team is helping them get through that. Um, and so the peer support team is made up of all employees. I mean, we have civilians, we have sworn, we have detention. And essentially, we wanted to break down the walls of the whole taboo thing about talking about your problems and, and facing these issues because we all face them. And so we wanted to have a culture of, of them understanding that we all have regular lives we all have regular crap that bothers us and when that happens because a lot of times we spend more time with each other than we do our our families at home exactly so when that happens we want you to know that there's another person in this work family that you can lean on and talk to and they've been through the same thing and they can help walk you through this and the people who do that the the uh, there's, yes, well, you've hit a spot with me too because I've been there <laughs> when the when those guys come through the door. Yeah, yeah, and they they do make a difference. And I, the county that I volunteered in, they brought everybody. Right. If you were a dispatcher or a call taker, and not even took that call, everybody was collected. Right. Another shift came in and completely replaced you. You went to a central place, and they worked their magic. Like you said, there's a lot of uh, resistance. Mm-hmm. You know, have you know? Heaven forbid, I cry or I have an emotion. But right. those guys know how to work their magic, create a safe space for that. Yeah, and there's a lot of uh, you know in the peer support world because haven't done this for a while. The models have changed over the year, over the years, and the uh, the newer models they don't focus so much on the group gatherings. They they focus more on the individuals. Uh, but we do the same thing, and now we've what what we've done with this uh the like peer support and the cri- critical incident stuff is created kind of a matrix and so what happens with our our peer support people um and with our command is if a call goes out i.e uh baby not breathing and our deputy responds and the baby ends up not making it um that would trigger that matrix in into effect which means that the dispatch our dispatch center um, those dispatchers would notify who they need to notify, and it would trigger a response. And so then our peer support group would know that, okay, we need to talk to the deputy that responded to that call. We need to talk to the rest of his squad mates because people don't realize that they get affected by things even though they weren't even on that call. We need to talk to the dispatcher, and the dispatcher was a huge piece that we were missing in the past because, like for cops, what we don't understand is we go to the calls, so we know the whole story. The dispatchers, they get 
a 911 call of somebody frantic and they dispatch the call and they kind of know what's going on. But then the deputy gets there and it just kind of goes dark. And then they're trying to fill in all these blanks and they're not getting the information. They and that's closure too. Yeah. And, and that can be more stressful than the guy that actually showed up and took the call. Um, so we, we tried to be all inclusive in our, in, in who we reach out to. And so, uh, when we have a cr- critical incident happen, it immediately triggers that they start reaching out to those people, um, offering them services, checking on them. And, and we didn't want to overdo it because having been in some critical incidences, the, the one thing that I hate is, you know, you would get that uh, counselor that's in your face. Are you okay? Are you feeling okay? These are the things you're going to feel. And you're just like, get the hell out of my face, dude. Like, I don't, I don't know you. I don't want to talk to you. I just, you know, leave me alone. You, and hit, you hit on a sore spot. I'm in a sore spot, a big spot for me. This is how you should feel. B.S. You take a concealed weapons course, you take any kind of firearms course, right. and you've got somebody you can talk about officer-involved shootings or critical incidents, training, and you've got a guy at the podium, and this is at a lot of conferences, a lot of, mm-hmm. telling you exactly how you're going to process that. Right. Not everybody processes that way. Right. Uh, just like the guy who can w- go to an autopsy and go out and have a cheese sandwich or, yep. you know, right after people process things differently. Yeah. And if you're telling somebody this is good and he doesn't feel that way, he's going, what's wrong with me? No. Right. You're going to process the way you're going to process it, and we're here for you, mm-hmm. and we're here to offer you support. Yeah. What about knuckleheads? Do they get how do, do they, <laughs> if they get to your level? Because you got some knuckleheads, right? Oh yeah, we all got do knuckleheads some, everywhere. I man. do. I do two hours of dumb stuff a day right here in this room, <laughs> so I know what it's like to be a knucklehead and get in trouble. So what happens if I'm a knucklehead and my sergeant's addressed it and? It, it, because they, I'm sure you hear from everybody. Yeah, yeah, we do. If a knucklehead makes it to my level, he's a special kind of knucklehead because that that means he's went through a bunch of levels to screw up. <laughs> uh, as uh, as Frank can tell you a story about being a knucklehead. <laughs> uh, yeah. So so. It, knuckleheads are hard because it depends on what kind of knucklehead they are. So sometimes it's really funny stuff. It is, and and sometimes you have guys that are just those guys that are just. They're good, good people. They mean to do well, and they just cannot make a right decision to save their life sometimes. But then you have other ones that are just, you know, being dumbasses, um, and and they continue to do that. Uh, and honestly, there's some, and this is a small percentage, but there's some that have no idea, and and you're trying to explain it to them, and they're just thousand yard stare and. You know, sometimes you just think like, how in the hell did you even remember to breathe? Um, and again, those are small percentages. But dealing with knuckleheads is, you know, I've kind of dealt with it the same my, my whole career. And they're, they're not all bad. Some, no, are, no, some are great no. cops who just do funny stuff that's funny to them, maybe yeah. funny at the moment, but not yeah. funny to I everybody. mean, we've we've all done it and we've all, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a jokester and, and you know, I've done some stuff where I was like, ah, that was probably bad timing. <laughs> and, you know, when you're in front of your lieutenant getting yelled at, you realize, yeah, that was horrible timing. Um, but we just deal with those on a case-by-case basis. And, I mean, uh, you know, if it's if it's no harm, no foul kind of behavior, like, so I'll, I'll give you a, an instance. Uh, and not that he's Watch, a knucklehead. Notice as I lo- lean in and <laughs> prepare my pen to take yeah, notes. Um, uh, this particular sergeant wasn't necessarily a knucklehead but he made a knucklehead move um so it was an early morning i was a lieutenant i was a patrol lieutenant and one of my patrol sergeants calls me and he says uh, are we cool to cuss or i don't know oh, absolutely I don't know. Okay. um so ben are you okay with cussing <laughs> totally we didn't i didn't mean to wake you ben but. oh you're good uh 
so Sergeant calls me early in the morning. It's like 6 a.m. on a Saturday, which was odd uh, for him to call me then. And so I'm thinking, oh, okay, what's going on? And, and he says, hey, I want to self-report. <laughs> I was like, okay. And he says, I just told some guy to fuck off. And I said, okay, so give me the full story. So he gives me the full story. Um, and then about 10 minutes after I hang up with him, I get a call from dispatch. Hey, we got a guy that wants to complain about one of your officers. <laughs> and I was like, okay. I, I said, who is it? So he says, I don't, uh, you know, here's the guy's info. And he says, one of your officers yelled profanities at him. And I'm like, all right, cool. I already know the story. So, um, I called the guy and I said, Hey, uh, you know, uh, this is who I am and how can I help you? And he says, well, one of your, one of your officers, he says, I, I don't know his name, but he said there was an accident. And I, I kind of came into that scene and I was trying to get, you know, work my way through. And I went to ask him a question and he told me to fuck off and keep driving. And I said, okay, well, so just so you know, sir, I said, it was Sergeant so-and-so and, and, uh, he already called me and he told me what he did. And he's like, really? And I said, yeah, he, I said, so here's the deal. Um, he's had a long night. They had a long, a lot of screwed up calls. Um, he was about to get off when this accident kicked out. So he's not going home on time. He worked graveyard all night. He's tired. He was frustrated. The people weren't agreeing with him, and uh, you hit him right at the right moment where he told you to fuck off. And he says, oh, oh, okay, well, what's going to happen? And I said, well, so I, I kind of yelled at him, and I told him, dude, you can't be telling people that, you know, just because you're having a bad day. And he understood that, and, uh, you know, he he's not going to do it again. He's a good sergeant, actually. He's one of my better ones. And uh, it was just, it's one of those deals, man. He's a human. And the guy says, well. Yeah, okay, I'm I'm good with that. And he says, uh, well, I hope he has a better day, you know. I'm like, all right, cool. So, you know, I told the sergeant, hey, dude, he called, he complained. Um, you self-reported. It's it's all good. Uh, please don't tell people to fuck off in the future, okay? And and we called it good. So, you know, you get knucklehead moves like that, but you just, like I said, you just kind of work through it. And the biggest thing, I think, that happens at our level is guys that get up to this level tend to forget the things that they did during their career. And they tend to forget how people act toward Because when you get to this level, people treat you differently too than they do just a normal street cop. And so you've always got to think from whatever level you're dealing with. And so, you know, when, when we're dealing with a, a, a deputy, I've got to think, okay, if I was a deputy, would this make sense to me? Yeah, you know, all right. I, I could see myself doing that. And, you know, okay, I could see myself making a smart ass comment or something on a scene or, or laughing when it's inappropriate because we have a dark sense of humor. So you just, that's the way we like to approach it. And I think, again, that that helps in our environment is just treating everybody as an independent thinker and dealing with the problem in front of us as it is. That was a, I want to self-report now. I'm gonna, <laughs> and I reported this back when it happened, but you, you reminded me of this. As a volunteer of the sheriff's office, mind you, not sworn, not compensated, I volunteered my time. We transport people to jail, not a cop, make very clear. DUI task force years ago, <laughs> I'm there for the food, I'm wearing a hoodie, I have a posse cart, uh, so it's got all the lights and all the stuff approved by the sheriff of that county. A motor officer is struck on the 101 freeway, my guys go. So we make our way there. We don't run coke because we're not. So they're handling it. There's a, a city policeman blocking the top of the ramp. Hey, Ed, can you do me a favor? We got a lot going on. Can you take the ramp? That I'm allowed to do. I take that car and sound off signal. I want to thank you again for the $10,000 worth of lights on that vehicle <laughs> because I got to use them. I set out one of my best 
flare patterns that you ever saw. <laughs> I took that lane. If you came out of Old Town Scottsdale, you're all coming from the clubs with your tight jeans. Yeah, you were coming towards me after you're leaving the club empty-handed. So I'm there. Now I've got on the traffic vest like you're supposed to wear. Right. And I've worked all day. And I'm kind of cranky. Some of you may or may not know that. And I've got another volunteer with me. And cars are coming. And they're not acknowledging that mosaic of flares. And they're coming up. And I started doing the same thing. I like to go south here. I said, well, you don't get to, you have to go back and go down to the next street, and that'll take you back to the East Valley where you want to go. I'm doing this over and over. Now, meantime, I don't know, because I'm on a different radio, how that officer was at the bottom of the ramp. You know, the freeway is stopped. Uh, so my thoughts, prayers, heart, everything is with this guy. And right. I got these knuckleheads coming out of the clubs, unto, 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 coming up. <laughs> It's a good and tune right there. That is a good tune. Yes. Yeah. And I finally got, I said, I'm going to entertain myself as I do most days. <laughs> I started, one guy, I go this way. I said, started saying things like, well, I can tell by the look of this car and everything else that what you get, you don't always get in life what you want. Turn your ass around. <laughs> wow. and, I, and I got more colorful like that. Well, unbeknownst to me, people had phones they, in their car and they were calling. And it was kind of hard to track out who this white car was because <laughs> I didn't have the magnets on it, just the lights and the, and the beautiful mosaic of flares, like a half a case of flares. So within a few, maybe 20 minutes, the beautiful highway patrol car pulls up and a captain gets out. Oh, wow. And I happen to know the captain from DUI Task Force. Wait, did he know your uh, flare pattern? Because those no, dudes are some flare they pattern are, uh, Yeah, he, he did notice yeah. that, but oh. he was more concerned about <laughs> keeping me from the next car because he came and said, Ed. I even didn't know you were out here. I'm helping. I, how long have you been here? It's like two and a half hours, two hours. He said, have you had any had talked to anybody? I said, I talked to a lot of any of these idiots who come through here. <laughs> He's like, yeah, about that. I've got somebody coming, and I know you work a day job, so I want to thank you for everything. And then he said, yeah, you're not. People were calling DPS white car on the freeway. So oh, I feel bad yeah. if you're a DPS trooper, and I know you love hearing that, that you're a trooper. You tell yeah, everybody they're not they're highway patrolmen. Uh, Come on, highway patrolmen. <laughs> I apologize for talking smack to your clients. I love my DPS peeps. Don't wow. get me wrong. But self-reporting <laughs> is amazing. Now we're gonna. This is another hot button for me. We're not. People talk about immigration, and I am not opposed to legal immigration and those things. Right. What I'm opposed to, and you see it, and that's what I'm going to ask you about, is all the things that come through the border under the guise or under the people thinking it has to do with immigration. Right. Uh, you know this. Ben probably knows this but won't admit to it. You and I could get in your car right now. Mm -hmm. Could we go in your county and just you and I, no other intelligence, could we find a load vehicle in the next four hours? Oh, I'm sure we could. Uh, load vehicle, load or people. Or load, load people. Yeah, yeah. We could find some drugs coming in. Right, right. Could some of that maybe be fentanyl or methamphetamine? Oh, definitely, or yeah. That, uh, uh, and... and it used to be weed heavy because the Sinaloans run the state of Arizona, um, the Sinaloa cartel, uh, for the most part. And so they control most of the shipments. Most of the shipments used to be weed. The model is changing. Meth and uh, heroin and fentanyl are the top producers now. And so um, that's their model. So most likely you're going to find those drugs when you find a drug load anymore. And I and I think very highly of our Border Patrol mm -hmm. Customs, Border Protection, and ICE agents, those guys. I'm not disparaging their work at all. But we see things in the media, not from the people on the ground doing the footwork, right. but you hear things like apprehensions are down. It's 120 degrees. Right. They're saying apprehensions. They're not saying crossings. Right. They're not saying recurring crossings with the drug guys. There's some guys who cross every week, oh, multiple yeah. times a week. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it used to be um, you would get uh, what they call give-ups. And uh, it, it's the craziest thing because the federal government is essentially facilitating these crimes because what will happen is you'll get smugglers come north, and in a give-up case, they'll come north, they'll drop their drugs, the drugs will get loaded into a vehicle, then these guys would walk out to the highway and wave down Border Patrol. Border Patrol will take them into custody because they're here illegally, take them and process them, send them back to Mexico where they get their next load, and they bring it up. And so it, it was a constant cycle. And you even found spotting stations, haven't you? Oh, yeah, we have them all throughout our county. We had uh, Actually, we were the first county in the nation uh, to prosecute scouts because what was happening was at the time we, we had, and I was in charge of our smuggling squad, and uh, our, our SWAT team would do a lot of that stuff, and that's when I was working out there with our, our adjacent counties. Um, we had a county attorney that said, Matt, we want to help in this fight. Where are you lacking prosecution? And we told them resupplies and scouts. So, like, if you got caught with dope, we would prosecute you. But if you were the guy on the radio or the phone guiding the dope up, no prosecution. If you were the person supplying the scouts with their food, their batteries, all that stuff, no prosecution. So we said, we need to shut down the whole network, not just the the smugglers coming through. And so um, they said, well, the AUSA needs to charge that. And we said, yeah, the AUSA won't charge it. So the the U.S. attorney won't charge that. Um, Border Patrol can't get those charges. ICE can't get those. Nobody will get those charges because the federal attorneys won't prosecute it. So if you want to help us, let's prosecute those. So I had an attorney with a set of cojones, and he said, we're going to take it on, dude. And I said, cool, how are we going to do it? So he said, all right, we're going to qualify some of you as expert witnesses. We are going to uh, go through historicals to show what has happened in the past and how you guys have combated that and what roadblocks you've come up against. So he drew this big picture and a storyline to go with it showing why this is such a problem almost like you do for a wire case um Mm. we did this and so we laid it all out and then he said okay we're going to do our first apprehension and prosecution so we teamed with border patrol and border patrol was 100 percent on board with this because they were banging their head against the wall as to why they couldn't get federal prosecution on these so uh border patrol has a unit called BORTAC, which is their their tactical guys those dudes are some of the best man trackers, uh, probably the best man trackers in they our even nation. Even got some guys on horseback too. Oh yeah, they're they're awesome. I mean, seriously, like these guys could look at footprints and they'll be like, "Okay, it's five guys. They're headed northbound. One has change in his left pocket." And you're like, "What the hell?" Uh, but they are seriously good man trackers. So Bortac is also good at uh, uh, mountaintop insertions out of Blackhawks and getting on these scouts because these scouts. Now, this is operator talk. This is where I get excited. <laughs> So these, uh, these scouts are truly, I, I believe, shapeshifters. I don't know how they do it, but they turn into cactuses and shit when you go to chasing them. Uh, so you would jump in on them on a mountaintop, and they would run around a corner and be gone. Bortac, were, they were masters at capturing these scouts, and so were some of the ground agents. So <clears throat> the plan was we said, okay, Bortac are the guys to use to get the scouts. Um, we're going to prosecute them, so our detectives have to be the case agents. Um, Border Patrol had a good evidence collection team, so we teamed up and, and everybody had their own assignment. So how the first one went down was we, we had our plan. We had some high-value scouts that we wanted to go after. Um, we set up the plan as Bortac gets in on them. They get the scouts in custody, and they lock down the scout location on this mountaintop. Once that happens, our detectives and Border Patrol's evidence team go up to that location. 
they collect the evidence our detectives record all that then we get some we get those guys off the hill we'll do some initial interviews up there to see if we missed anything get off the hill and uh interview them again and debrief them a little bit more so we get that first prosecution or we get that first case done and uh the scouts are walking tall because they think the same thing's going to happen they're like yeah whatever yeah you got us okay we're going to go back to mexico and we're going to be back in two days so then they figured out that wait a minute we're going what the county jail for what well because you're getting prosecuted so we ended up prosecuting that first crew two and a half years for two and ten years for one because he had a weapon with that prosecution that kind of rocked the cartel side because they were like whoa wait a minute and so our goal was we figured now we can start prosecuting the scouts we've got one through that'll be kind of our test case now let's go after the resupply uh, so we started hitting at three prong where we were hitting scouts, resupplies, and the smugglers at the same time, and it had a much better effect. And are you guys still doing that today? Still doing that. And, well, what actually ended up happening out of that is we embarrassed the feds. So the I'm AUSA, okay with that. Yeah, me too. Uh, we embarrassed them into and, – and when I say feds, I'm talking attorneys. The federal attorneys said, whoa, wait a minute, uh, because then you had the federal agencies going to them saying, hey – they're prosecuting scouts and they're going through left and right. Why aren't you guys prosecuting scouts? And we were telling the feds the same thing. Why can't you guys prosecute? And we are. And so the feds are now prosecuting those cases. And so we kind of just pushed it through to where they started doing their job. And it's been working. And if great. you're listening to this, any place other than Arizona, and you wonder how this impacts you, <laughs> how this, these drugs are not all being consumed no. in the state of Arizona. Yeah, no. We're a source state. That is heading to a neighborhood near you, God forbid, a house near you or even your home. But drugs touch everybody and they go everywhere. And to ignore what these guys are doing on the front line here, it, it's criminal. Well, if you look at the opium, uh, they call it the opioid crisis now. The opioid crisis, I think we were, see, we're 2019, so it had to be at least at least seven, eight years ago that we were telling people, hey, this is coming, this is bad. And everybody's like, oh, no, no, it's not a problem here. Well, now it's a problem everywhere. So, I mean, that's proof right there of what we're talking about, that we are a source state. So when we see it here, and if if a tactic switches here, i.e. they switch to fentanyl, right. get ready and because you, it's and if coming you think everywhere the opium, uh, <laughs> was a problem the fentanyl yeah with the quality control and the narcan you guys are all carrying narcan right yeah and and the narcan uh just i think it was either this morning or last night we had a guy 28 year old that was brought back to life by one of our deputies and i'm worried about your deputies too because this right. what they're talking about minuscule exposures yeah like assault grain size yeah that's that's not going to work right so you've got all this going on if you're looking for a job, you've got to reach out to Pinal County. If oh, you're yeah. a lateral, lateral friendly, you know, back in the day, that was always a hard one. Right. But laterals are friendly. Detention. If you have any interest in law enforcement, get inside. Of the, and I should put on a disguise right now because I love detention. Uh, the chief knows I'm going to say this. He probably doesn't like it. L.A. Sheriff's Department, you spent how long in the jail as I a deputy? I was there probably about eight months. But L.A. Sheriff's Department guy is going to be in there how long? Uh, he was LA. I think they're two years. Two years in the yeah. jail. And you learn a lot in the jail, especially yeah. if you're not street smart and not right. been exposed. If your whole life has been a smartphone and, <laughs> and, and soccer practice, you, you can learn a lot in the jail. Yeah, that is true. Um, so I worry. I worry about the future. I worry about the law enforcement, the guys yeah. we're going to hire. Yeah, me too. Because it's not getting any easier. No, no. But I think... Uh, 
when we talk about the guys we're going to hire, because, you know, there's a lot of generational talk, like this generation this and this generation that. And, and uh, I think that uh, this generation of youngsters that are coming into the workforce now, so I would say, you know, probably your 18 to 25-year-olds, very tech-heavy tech or tech-heavy, tech-savvy um I think a lot of them are lacking social skills because of that. Um, but one thing they are that so you know, go back to my generation of cops when we started, they'd say, why do you want to be a cop? I want to help people was the standard answer, right? And part of you believed that, but part of you was like, I want to do cool shit, you know? Um, I want to shoot guns and I want to drive fast. I mean that's a real answer. And yeah, I get to help people people by proxy because you know, you do, a lot of times what your intrinsic motivation is that you are fighting for a greater good. But this younger generation believes that to their core like no other generation. They are truly about helping their community, be involved in their community, and, and being a part of something bigger. And that's, you know, one of the things we're trying to appeal to in those groups is that um, it's not just a job. You are becoming a piece of your community and you become the protector of your community because we all kind of live where we work, you know. Right. We, we, we're all part of the community too. Second Amendment. Yes. Guns. Love them. The gun lifestyle. <laughs> I love it. Belt-fed <laughs> machine guns. Yep, love them too. HKMP5. Yes. That Magazine was my first dumps. SWAT gun. <laughs> HKMP5. Excellent tool. I bet you're yeah. surgical with that thing. I don't know that I'm surgical anymore. I mean, a desk job wears some of that off of you, your surgical stuff. But you, uh, <laughs> in the county, you have places that it's legal to shoot almost anywhere you look. Yeah, we have a lot of open spaces and a lot of uh, a lot of spots that people go out and, and enjoy firearms. And, and we get a lot of travel, you know, from the East Valley, especially a lot of travelers that come out of the Valley to uh, shoot out in some of our I'm county one of spots. Them. Yeah. I'm one of them. Yeah. But pick up your brass, clean up after yourselves. Exactly, yeah. Ugh, and sure especially trash. when you're taking, because I'm a big proponent of, of uh, because it was it was done for me. I went out with adults, and they showed me how to properly handle firearms. They showed me prop, proper etiquette, you know, all that stuff. And I remember one thing that, that was kind of lacking with, you know, my grandpa back then, because he was just an old Texan, and it was a different time frame that he came up under. And uh, we would leave a lot of stuff. And... As I got older with my uncles that were a different generation, I would, I would go out with them. They were more conscious about cleaning up after yourself and, and bringing stuff. So, you know, taking your kids out, showing them that lifestyle, but being sure that you show them the responsibility at the end of, of cleaning up, making it like you were never there so that the next person it's has It's not just your grandpa. Boom. Not just your grandpa. That's what's we, up. with the Cleveland policemen, would collect tire weights <laughs> and we would melt them in an enclosed basement yeah. and pour lead castings. You ever wonder what's wrong with me? Lead exposure because we yeah. did all that. Yeah. And you can learn from the Italian side of my family. Take a tarp out there, lay it down, <laughs> right. pick up all your brass. That's that actually way. what I do. Yeah. 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 You can, also roll, oh, you yeah. can also roll up a. Never mind. You couldn't roll up anything in that to, dis to dispose of. <laughs> that is Italian. That's, that's old school Italian. Well, I appreciate just, you being brave enough to come out and spend some time with us. Absolutely. I appreciate uh, the invite. I want people, if you're looking for a job in law enforcement, look no further than Pinal County. We'd love it's, to have you. It's tolerable weather. I mean, right now it's a miserable, what was it, 72 today or so? I don't know what it was. Uh, I think it was in the mid-90s, mid so it's cooling off quite a bit. In October, I'm wearing my long winter shorts. Yeah. So, And those 120s aren't bad, you know. I was on a bike when we were hitting the 120s, a motorcycle, and uh, they're not that bad, man. You get used to them, and, and uh, 
I've never had to shovel any sunshine my entire life. True statement. Anything you want to leave our audience with? Well, um, I would just tell people to uh, please. One of the big things for us in law enforcement is is for people to continue to verbalize their appreciation because that helps more than you know. Because uh, people always ask me, is there a lot of support for law enforcement? And my answer is in our community, absolutely. Because we have citizens, random citizens come up to us all the time, thank us for the job we're doing, tell us they support us. And that means more than you think because uh, you tend to listen to that one small percentage of negative people that are telling you, you know, you're this, you're that, and, and you suck and all this. And it really is refreshing when people tell you that they appreciate the job that you do and, and, and they understand that you're dealing with uh, difficult situations and all that kind of stuff. So for the normal citizens out there, thank your local officer every chance you get just for the job that they do. But don't walk up on his vehicle in a no, pitch yeah, dark no, no. or yeah. when he's in the middle make of something. Sh- make sure you have front side approach, much like a helicopter. Exactly. <laughs> get acknowledged by the pilot. <laughs> Where can I follow Pinal County on social media? We are at Pinal CSO on uh, Twitter, I think. I'm not allowed on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Facebook is just Pinal County Sheriff's Office, and, and that's the easiest way. To, and that's where most of our social feeds are is on Facebook. Um, and, and you'll be able to keep up with the day-to-day of the organization because we try and uh, keep a pretty good constant feed on social media. So the next time you're watching Live PD and the chief deputy's on there, I want you oh, to scream, I, yeah. <laughs> I know that guy. I've heard that Oh, my guy. God, I know him. <laughs> Again, I want to thank you for your time. I wish you nothing less than life's best, and I appreciate you making the trip up here in traffic. Absolutely. To spend some time I with us. I appreciate being here. Thank you, sir. God bless everybody. And one, one, one last point. Yes. <laughs> uh, in your Instagram, you make no bones about your religion. Yeah. I just like it every Sunday. There's a Bible verse, mm-hmm. and there's no commentary, and it's just there. And it, right. it speaks volumes because you, you're not proselytizing. You're not out there. Right. But I know that every Sunday, because you get up like, I think you're in a different time zone because <laughs> we live about 45 minutes from each other, yeah. but you're up like seven hours before I am. Yeah. You're in the gym every day, but there's the Bible verse. And I want to thank you for doing that because the word never goes back void. It yeah. never comes back Absolutely. void. Absolutely. Yeah, and that that is by design. I, I screwed up this past Sunday, and I did two posts, which is against my rules. Um, cause I forgot what day it was later in the day, but typically I try and post that Bible verse first thing in the morning, no commentary is needed because his word is greater than mine. And, uh, I just leave that day alone. Thank you so much. Yep.